Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our first podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to share a little bit about who we are and how we got here to the homestead. It's kind of funny because... We are the last people who we ever thought would live on a farm. We had no prior interest or experience with farm animals or any animals, really. We had no interest in gardening or growing things. And today we're going to just share a little bit about how our hearts and our minds and our plans and our lives changed. Hello, everyone. My name is Peter, and I never thought I would be milking a cow. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would not have understand why anyone would want to do that. You can go to any store in America and buy a gallon of milk mm-hmm. for 2 or $3. Why would you want to wake up early and do that? Yeah. And now I wake up early every morning and I milk a cow. Mm-hmm. So anyway, about Kristen and I, we grew up on the same street just outside of Baltimore. Uh, the Literally, the Baltimore city line went right through Kristen's house, mm-hmm. which was super awesome because she got her trash <laughs> taken away twice a week. <laughs> My parents uh, paid taxes to the county and the city because the line went right... We were on both sides, half which our house. the not awesome part. <laughs> but we grew up on the same street, and we loved that town, and we had a really great childhood there. And years later, we got married, and we bought a house a mile away and we thought we would live the rest of our life there. Mm-hmm. It was a really neat three-story Victorian. Um, and we did a lot of stuff that I think people can relate to as far as living in the suburban life. Yeah, we lived out the the normal, like Pete said, suburban life. I ha- took my first kids to playgrounds probably two to three times a week. Um, we, we went to the pool. We did church events, took a lot of walks, just right, lots like- of. Family and friend events. The American dream, I yeah, guess. Yeah, <laughs> and that stuff's awesome. It's really good. But now we live on a 10-acre farm. Mm-hmm. And so we went from there to here, and there's so many things that happened that made us even want to do that, and we can't wait to share it with you. I think that that a lot of people can probably relate to a suburban life and where we are coming from, but I think a lot of people can probably also relate to this desire inside to get closer to your food source, to maybe understand what it's like to grow your own food, Mm -hmm. to be closer to nature. And this is the way that human beings live for thousands of years Mm -hmm. in a much deeper relationship uh, with nature and so uh, natural living and things like that. So we have a lot to say about that and we're going to share it with you. Yeah, definitely. So a little about us. We've been married for 10 years We have four little boys, ages six, five, three, and two. That's right. Six, five, three, and two. It's crazy. It's chaos. (laughs) Yeah, totally crazy. (laughs) We know what it's like to have three children in diapers. We know what it's like to... It's a lot of diapers. Yeah, we know what it's like to think, I can't even do dishes or the laundry. How in the world would I homestead? Uh, We know what it's like to be totally overwhelmed by lots of little babies, lots of need, Lots of crying. <laughs> yeah, I remember after we had had uh, babies at first, it's, I think a lot of people would understand, this was true for me, you just, you're like, I'll never do anything ever again. Yeah, my life my is life. over. It's my life so is over. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And then the time goes on, some years pass by, and you realize, 
we were able to keep having this conversation, Kristen and I, about what do we want to do with our life? Where do we want it to go? Mm -hmm. And then even with a bunch of little kids, we can continue to do the things that that would be required to to pursue that life. Yeah. Yeah. And looking back, I'm kind of like, how did we do it? When we moved to our farm, we had a 10-month-old. We had a baby who was not two yet. We had a three-year-old turning four. And we had a five-year-old. And I mean, if you can do it with, if we can do it with that many little children, it is possible. I mean, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's see. We also homeschool our children. We have a first grader and a kindergartner, and we cannot be happier with homeschooling. It's going wonderfully. Yeah, homeschooling's been really neat. There's a lot of freedom with it. I remember um, one morning loading wood chips into my wheelbarrow. And 30 feet away, my two boys were in the woods building forts. And the school bus drove by to pick up the children to go to school. And it just clicked for me. I was like, <laughs> my kids are building forts, you know, while everyone else has to go off to, to school. But there's been a lot of neat parts about that. Yeah, it's really funny. It, I felt free seeing my kids in the woods building a fort. And I'm not even a school kid. I think I felt free for them. Yeah. Our Catholic faith is also really, really important to us. We base all of our decisions on prayer. We were kind of debating, should we make this a Catholic homesteading podcast or just a homesteading podcast? And when we talked about it, we were just like, a podcast would not make sense for us uh, without sharing about our faith because our faith is really the underlying reason for all the crazy things that we do. Yeah, for a lot of years, I didn't understand that the Catholic Church really said anything about homesteading or natural living or things like that. And it actually says quite a bit. And Pope Francis recently has said quite a bit a lot about it. And uh, and I, I, there's lots of good homesteading podcasts out there. I mm-hmm. listen to them. I learn a lot from them. Yeah. Um, but this is something where we want to connect that with Christianity, with Catholicism. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and about our farm, we've got 10 acres. We have two cows we have a grass-fed beef cow and a grass-fed dairy cow. Yeah, we moved out here and we got to, to this 10 acres and a lot of it is pasture. I remember looking at the pasture being like, what in the world am I going to do with all of this grass? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, when you have a smaller yard, you can mow it and make it look perfect. And And I went out and I started shopping, you know, tractors and mowers. and. Yeah, everyone was saying, you have to buy a tractor and... If you are going to mow 10 acres, you certainly need a tractor. But really, we just could not afford a tractor. Yeah, so the grass grew and grew, mm-hmm. and it got as high as my shoulders, which I didn't even know grass got that high. <laughs> and uh, it was this paradigm shift uh, where I started to understand that grass could be an asset. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few months later, we got cows, and now the cows are turning all of that grass into super high-quality food. Yeah, it was... Funny because we weren't really intending to get cows. It was kind of maybe a dream of the long, the future. But when we realized, hey, we've got grass for them, we've got a barn, why not just go for it? Yeah, when you grow up in a street with mostly row homes, the idea of a of a twelve hundred pound animal is incredibly <laughs> kind of intimidating. Intimidating. But it was the best decision. It's, Absolutely, we love our cows. So we also have twenty four chickens that they give us really high quality eggs every day. And 
we love the food that we get from our animals, but also the beauty that they that they provide. Just looking out in the pastures and seeing these chickens kind of just plucking away at the at the pasture and the cows. It's just it's really beautiful. We also have two dogs. We love our dogs. They are working dogs. We have one dog who's a mutt sheepdog. We got him when we moved in. I got him from Craigslist and we are convinced he's a genius. I mean, he is he is a genius dog. He is so smart. And then we also, when we moved in, got this purebred farm guardian uh, sheepdog. And she was like Marley and me. She was horrible, horrible <laughs> for the first year. She caused us more stress than all of our babies. Oh, yeah. That um, was hard. But we prayed really hard yeah. for her. <laughs> and now she is awesome. But we know in Maryland, there's there's just a lot of deer pressure. Mm-hmm. And our house backs up to, to some parkland. So there's a lot of deer. And... Uh, you have to have a plan for them if you want to grow food. And so the dogs are our plan for them and they keep the deer away. Yeah, we keep our dogs where we grow our food at night. And there was one night that we didn't keep them there. We brought them in for some reason and the deer just came and ate a lot of our squashes. So we just love our dogs. We couldn't do this without our dogs. We also have two cats and they really help with mice in the barn and things like that. One of our cats is very old. She came with the farm and she doesn't like anybody. (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't like all the new animals, but we have a kitten that was found in the woods and she's awesome. She thinks she's a dog because she was separated from her mother really early and left in the woods. And so when we brought her in, she was kind of adopted by the dogs. So she just runs around with the dogs and thinks she's a dog. Yeah, she's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. We are also growing a lot of our own food. We do the vegetable garden thing, but... What I'm really excited about is we are growing a forest garden. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard that term before, think orchard, but instead of just trees, there's all kinds of berry bushes that we're starting to plant in there, and there'll be herbs and annual vegetables and grapevines and all kinds of stuff planted together with the goal of diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, So if a normal orchard, uh, conventional orchard might be Uh, acres after acres of peach trees and you end up with a monoculture which leads to all kinds of uh, fungus pressure and and insect pressure and you you combat that with a whole bunch of chemicals everything's blooming at the same time so it attracts all the, the the insects and things like that right so the idea here is that we end up with a very diverse forest garden and all of the trees and everything there produces fruits and nuts and vegetables and um, because of all the diversity there's a lot more natural uh, protection against things like fungus and it brings in a lot of pollinators and while there's lots of bugs it's, it's encouraging bugs it's bringing in a lot of the predatory bugs which keep uh, keep things in check yeah yeah definitely and I've also gotten really into growing herbs this year I I read and researched tons about herbs last winter and just grew a bunch this spring and summer, and we've actually been drinking um, tea every night from the herbs that I grew. Yeah, it's excellent. I recommend the lemon verbena. Oh yeah, lemon verbena is awesome. (laughs) I mean, the herbs are amazing. I had no idea um, anything about herbs. So that's kind of a little glimpse of our farm and our, our life at the moment. And another thing, we did not make any money off anything that we do. We aren't farmers in the sense that we sell anything. We call ourselves homesteaders. We're really just growing our food and making our own food for for 
Just our family. But we are saving a lot of money at this point. Oh, yeah. We're saving a ton of money. I actually did the math, and we make all of our own dairy products. So we make all of our own yogurt, butter. We're starting to make cheese. And with all the money we're saving, I think our dairy cow paid for herself in about two months. I go to the grocery store with the kids, and I say, hey, guys, should we pick up some milk? And they're like, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun to just pass aisles. (laughs) Like in the summer, I I didn't go to the vegetable aisle. I didn't need dairy. I don't need eggs. So... We're not making any money. Pete does have a full-time job, but we're saving a lot of money. Yeah, I, I work full-time as a software engineer, so I spend my week in the cubicle and going to and from work in traffic, and mm-hmm. that is uh, you know, difficult in its own way, but this has also been providing a lot of balance for that, where yeah. when I'm not in the cubicle, then I can be outside and growing food and being yeah, with animals. Definitely. So Kristen, let's talk a little bit about where we were coming from that has now led us to a more natural way of living. Yeah, okay. So I'll go back to when I was in college. I was actually a theology major, and I took a lot of morality classes and ethics and all kinds of things like that. And I just remember, I kind of had memories of sitting in the classroom, and anytime the issue of the environment came up, it made me really uncomfortable. I was just kind of like, why are we talking about the environment? There are so many bigger issues. It kind of felt like a a non-issue to me. And I never had any kind of eye-opening experience in college. Um, I then became a youth minister, and Pete was awesome. Pete, you were there with me every night as a youth, when I did youth ministry. We really did it together. And we never again talked or really thought much about the environment. We weren't like big polluters or something, but it just wasn't something we really were passionate about or gave much thought to. Um, And then fast forward a few years, we started having kids, we bought a house, and we became your average American lawn owners. Yeah, so I I wanted to have a golf course looking yard. Mm -hmm. uh, So I would go to the home store and buy the fertilizer and the pesticides and the herbicides, the products they had there, (laughs) you know, kill off all the grubs and it's funny because I remember getting really annoyed when there were dandelions in my yard, Ugh. which is really funny because I like to eat dandelions now. Yeah, dandelions make great tea. They're so good <laughs> for you. And when you really look at them, they're they're just beautiful, bright yellow flowers. But I think we as human beings just kind of follow trends. And you know, you can look back to what you wore 10 years ago or whatever and see that we just kind of are, our minds are really swayed by trends. And right now there's a lawn trend of grass, of perfect grass. But dandelions really are beautiful yellow flowers that are so good for you and so good for the the insects and the pollinators. Yeah. And I hated them and they stressed about them. So um, some other things, I remember going to the grocery store and seeing chicken for $1.50 a pound and just thinking that is incredible. Like what a country I live in. You can get skinless boneless chicken breasts all in a row for a buck 50 a pound and that's that was just the whole grocery store i mean this incredible amount of food for super cheap mm-hmm. and i remember i have acid reflux and so that's uh just a lot of stomach acid and it was a problem for me so i took a pill for it and it went away and i took that pill every day and the pharmaceutical company said it's safe so i figured it was safe you know, there's FDA oversight and all of that. So didn't worry about it. And those are some examples, but really there's hundreds, maybe thousands of products in our life where we're just the end consumer of them. 
we buy them. So everything that we need to eat or wear or use at the house, we purchase something. If we have a problem, there's a fix. You go to the store and you buy it. Yeah. And there is this trust. This It's kind of a naive trust that all of those things that I'm supporting and spending my money on and using are okay. And there's nothing wrong with them. And there's oversight and the free market and other forces in play that should keep it all in check. And so I just trusted that. And so what happens when you don't trust it anymore? What happens if there really are problems there? And I started to see that there are problems. Yeah, we had a few things that really opened our eyes that we can't just blindly trust um, the system, really. Right. We had our, uh, our one-year-old go to his annual appointment, and they take blood, blood work there. It's just part of what they do. Well, in, in the Baltimore area, there's a lot of old houses. So I don't think this is the case everywhere in the country, but in our area, they test every baby for lead. Right, and, our, and the blood work came back and he had high lead levels. Right. And I was just shocked by this. I mean, it was something we took super seriously. And um, it's, babies are really susceptible to it because they just crawl, crawl around and put everything in their mouth. Yeah, lead is dangerous when you eat it. And so babies who crawl around and put, put everything in their mouth, they get a lot of the dust from the lead. Right. And- so I learned a lot about lead. And one of the things I learned that was really interesting was that in 1904... Lead poisoning was linked to lead-based paints. And then by 1909, France, Belgium, and Austria had outlawed lead paint. And that's interesting because it wasn't until 1978 that the United States outlawed lead paint. So there's this close to a 70-year period where um, the government oversight is not stopping lead paint, and the companies are still putting it in their products to their best interest, and my house was painted over and over again with lead paint. Yeah, and people trusted. People were painting their baby's cribs with lead paint. Right, and so this was a problem for us. But it, it made me wonder, maybe I can't trust all of these things. I can't trust the government to have my best interests. I can't necessarily trust other companies who are profit-driven to yeah. have my best interests. And when I started to look at more and more parts of my life, I saw that pattern continuing to happen over and over again so obviously lead paint is outlawed now but there's so many other things that are taking place that that are still happening so that chicken that's a dollar fifty a pound what if it's a dollar fifty a pound because the entire chicken industry is maximizing its product yeah and so that chicken has never seen sunlight yeah and never eaten a blade of grass and never eaten a bug and all the things that chickens are supposed to do in their normal chicken life it's never done, and it's packed into a, a building with 20,000 other chickens in just disgusting conditions, right. and, and it has to be fed antibiotics to keep it alive for its 50-day life, and eating nothing but genetically modified grain covered in pesticide and, fertili- and fertilizer, right. and it's, it's like all of these things, one after another after another, and I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, wow. I don't know. I, don't, I just yeah. don't, I don't feel good about this. And Yeah, I, I think there were a couple things that kind of opened our eyes because we really, like I said, we're not thinking about the environment. We weren't thinking about these things. But I also remember a friend of mine telling us we should watch this documentary called Food, Inc. And we are not the kind of people that want to sit down after a long day with kids and watch a documentary. It seemed very boring to me. But for some reason, we watched this documentary and it was fast-paced. It was... You know, it was an easy watch, 
And it really opened our eyes because you look at how these animals in our food in our food industry are treated, these cows being like shoved in these CAFOs and these chickens being in this house. And you look at that and there's something that goes against the goodness in your spirit. You look at that and you say, that is not beauty. That is not the way God intended us to treat his creation. And I look at my chickens just happily kind of going around the pasture, eating bugs. I look at my cows eating grass and it's clean and it's beautiful and it doesn't stink. And you look at that and you say, that is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it was a very obvious connection for me when I said, I wouldn't raise a chicken this way. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't pay someone else to do it for me. Yeah, and you're kind of like, I don't want to, uh, this is not the kind of place you want to take a field trip to. You know, if you take kids to visit farms and you would not take kids to visit the places where our food is coming from. Right. So then, then the other example, I'm taking medicine every day for my stomach and it's safe and start thinking about it a little bit more and a sixth grader who learned about the function of stomach acid could tell you that it's not a very bright idea to take your stomach acid to a near zero for years and that there's not going to be a side effect to that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the research said that that medicine was safe, but a, a decade later, after millions of people have taken the medicine, they start to find that there's problems associated with it. And, and uh, again, maybe I, this naive trust isn't a good thing. And maybe the reason I have stomach acid is because there's problems in my diet that are the real issue that need to be fixed. Yeah, and, right. Um, so I'm the end consumer of hundreds or thousands of products that I'm now seeing lots of problems with. Every one of them I look at, I see something I don't like. Yeah. And it became overwhelming. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, I don't know how to do any of this. I don't know how to replace any of this in my life. Right. And it's so much. What am I supposed to do? Right. So we and start... I, and I think that's part of the problem. A lot of people, and we were like this too, you don't want to look at it because you, you think, there's no way I can change everything. I can't change my whole lifestyle. That's where I think we realized you can really change one little thing at a time, one little baby step at a time. And you know, being educated is really the first step. Yeah, so one of the first steps for us, it's, it's, I really enjoy it looking back, but... In Maryland, there's lots of trees and lots of power lines, and the trees fall over and take down the power lines. Mm-hmm. So what they do is the the electrical company has contractors come by and trim all the trees. So if you end up with a medium or, or a large tree, you end up with this tree with all of the limbs that are near the power line carved out. And it, it <laughs> Half just, a tree everywhere. It, it looks kind of funny <laughs> when you're driving so down ridiculous. the street where this happens. Half trees, yeah. But the, the electrical contractor was coming to our house near Baltimore and they were doing this. We had a few trees that were in the lines and and I went out, talked to him. I said, I don't want a tree with like a stump and one limb coming <laughs> off the side. Can you uh, can you just cut the whole tree down? So they did. And we had something we had never had before, which is full sunlight mm-hmm. in our front yard. And it was really neat. And so we were talking and we were like, you know, what if we what if we planted an apple tree instead? It'll stay small, it won't be in the power lines, and we can walk outside and pick an apple. Right. And and then the, the idea just stuck. I was like, that would be so much fun. Right. Well, we we actually have room for ten. Yeah. We don't do anything small scale. We don't know how to do small scale. So we're like, one apple tree. Why not ten? Ten yeah, fruit our trees. The whole front yard will be fruit trees. Which is kind of hilarious because we lived on a really busy street and at rush hour our street was just backed up with traffic and you know we're like putting in this orchard <laughs> yeah it's really funny and it seemed really exciting i bought the grow fruit book you know the mm-hmm. standard 
book on how to plant a tree. Yeah, we knew nothing about, we never had really planted things. Right. And so my friend, I was talking to him about this and he sent me this Kickstarter and uh, for this video that was being made called the permaculture orchard. And I'd never heard the word permaculture before. I didn't know what that meant, but it was about this farmer, Stefan Saboliak in Canada. And it looked really neat. So we bought it or we supported the Kickstarter. And a few months later we got the, the movie that they made and it was incredible. It yeah. just blew my mind. It was really cool. And I remember one of the first things Stefan says in the video was people are starting to wake up to the notion that it's not a bright idea to spray poison on your food. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it just clicked for some reason. Yeah. I was like, I don't want poison sprayed on my food either. Right. But then he spends the rest of the, the movie, the documentary, showing you how you could do it without spraying poison on your food. Yeah. And I was blown away because the concept was that you would, you would mimic a natural ecology so that all of these problems that farmers have producing their food, you're, you're attempting to have nature solve that problem for you. And you're working with nature so right. that you don't have issues where you need to buy pesticide or fertilizer or herbicide. Yeah. And it just seemed possible. It was like, we can plant a few fruit trees and we can do it in this permaculture way and it can be something beautiful where we're not killing bugs we're attracting bugs the right bugs and the pollinators and there'll be birds yeah and um i think a lot of people have this concept in their head about what a farms look like especially when you live in suburbia you buy a package of food and it's got a cute little farm on the, on the front of it and it's like ooh farm yeah but what a conventional orchard for instance actually looks like is a whole bunch of trees, and then you kill everything else. Yeah. So it's a desert. Other than the fruit trees, which are now being supported by chemical fertilizer, you've killed off everything else. Right. And instead, you can do it in a way where you're encouraging everything else to Yeah, live. it re- respects nature. And it was just and like, all right, well, we can't fix everything in our life, yeah. but we can grow our, some of our own fruit. Right. And that was the beginning of like... Yeah. And then it becomes contagious, and you're like, oh, if I can replace this one system, what if I could do another? Yeah, and I remember... So we, we did it in one day, basically. We got, I don't know, what was it, like 10 fruit trees? Mm-hmm. And I was pregnant at the time, and we had like a, I don't know, a baby and the two boys... And we were just outside all day together as a family, and it was something that we could all do together. Sometimes I used to get the kids out of the house, and Pete would do a a house project on our old house. But this was more of a family event. The boys were digging and finding worms, and and I saw something in you, Pete. You just came alive. Oh, I just loved it. I had done... Our, our house, it was a three-story Victorian, and it was a fixer-upper, and I had done so much work on it, and I like doing that kind of work. But after a whole day of planting trees, I just remember looking up at the house and just being like, I don't want to work on that house anymore. I yeah. want to work in the in the soil. Yeah, That's there was just something that... And, and then it was funny because, um, again, I had a black thumb. I, I love the idea of beauty, but I would plant sun-loving flowers in the shade or shade flowers in the sun, or I couldn't keep up with the watering and they all died. So I really was discouraged. I didn't think I was good at gardening, but... Gardening is just like anything else. It takes practice. I remember my friend, she had the this um, love for gardening a little bit before I did. And she was like, you know, fruit takes a couple years to come in. You've got to grow some vegetables because vegetables, you get something that year. And I was like, no, no, no. Fruit, The fruit trees is enough. I wasn't ready to plant vegetables. And she just ignored me and brought over all these cucumber 
seedlings that she had grown in her house. And she's like, you got to plant these cucumbers and you'll get cucumbers. And they sat on my porch and, uh, and then I realized it might be rude if she comes over and sees these dying cucumbers. So I think at that point I was even intimidated to dig a hole. So I asked you, Pete, I showed you where I wanted them and I asked you to plant them for me. And, um, but it was amazing because for the first time, I mean, these cucumbers grew like weeds and we hardly did anything. And we had tons and tons of cucumbers and we were like, who knew this is so easy. And we have all these cucumbers. Yeah, I remember looking at a cucumber that I'd picked and just being like, this came out of the dirt. That's incredible. Like, yeah. You know, like, I was so disconnected. I didn't even real like, I knew how, you know, cucumbers came into the world, but it was just, it was amazing to me to actually see it. And it's so empowering to realize you can grow your own food and it's not that hard. It, you know, it takes some learning, but it's not that hard. Right. And then the, you, you, we watched our kids start to get into it and they didn't really eat cucumbers, but when we grew them, then they wanted to because it came, it became this really neat thing that they understood and they wanted to be a part of. Yeah. So we got our 10 fruit trees in the ground in the spring and really started to have our eyes opened that there's another way to live. Because really, before that, all we knew was suburbia. Um, But when we were really thinking about it, we were realizing that we felt like there was something missing in our lives. We were doing all the right things. We We had a great group of friends. We did a lot of prayer. But we kept on having this kind of feeling of unsettled, like... This isn't the life that we want. We kind of felt like we were going from event to event to entertainment to entertainment, from the playground to sports to the pool. And there was something inside of us, I think, that wanted to be building something. There was something inside of us that was kind of restless. Yeah. I, one of the things that we've realized about being married is that it's you want to have this continual conversation about what do we want to do with our life? Mm-hmm. That conversation never ends. Right. We had it before we were married and we had it after we were married. And then after having a bunch of babies, it's like, we need to have this conversation. What do we want to do with our life? Yeah, we didn't want to just be swept into the culture, swept down this river that we're not really choosing, but we're just kind of floating down the tide. We wanted to be living a life that we were passionate about, living a life that we felt like God was calling us into. And it's so easy to do that once you have kids. You just spend so much of your time and effort taking care of the day-to-day stuff. It's really easy to just start living day-to-day and no longer having that conversation, where do we want to be, How are we? what are we doing to get there? Yeah, and what are we building as a family? So looking back, things started to really change for us after we planted our little orchard. It was around that time that we started to understand the importance of being close to nature and being close to our food. So we started to have these conversations and we would say, hey, maybe we could live on land. Maybe we could homestead. But then shortly after, we'd say, no, we don't know anything about homesteading and we wouldn't want to be tied to that kind of life. And we love our house. We love our community. But then again, it would creep up and we'd start to say, wait, maybe we could you know, live on a farm with our kids. So we were going back and forth and we got to the place where we realized we really needed to discern it. Um, We knew we needed to take it to prayer because we did not know what would be best, but we knew that God knew what would be best for our family. So we were only talking for about a couple months and then we decided to really seriously discern. And that time of discernment and prayer really only took about two weeks for us. It became really clear really quickly. I was really lucky to stumble across this guide to help you discern God's will. 
And it was very loosely based on St. Ignatius Loyola, but it was very simple for your average person. Um, Very simple, but very, very helpful. And they take you through a few questions. And obviously the first question is, is your decision moral? (laughs) And if it's not moral, then it's not God's will. But when it's a harder decision, they take you through a few questions. And one of the things that they asked you to do was to listen to the desires of your heart. And that's really tricky. It was tricky for us because our desires were changing every day. Like I said, one day we'd want a homestead. The next day we were happy where we were. But they gave us a tip that really changed everything. And if we had known this tip before, it would have made decisions so much easier. Uh, They said to pay attention to the desires of your heart in times of consolation and desolation and listen to the desires that you're having in times of consolation. So times of consolation is when you're feeling love, when you're feeling joy, when you're feeling peace and hope, when you're feeling like yourself. And times of desolation are times when you might be feeling fearful or discouraged or stressed out. And so, for example, um, at nighttime, when I was really stressed, when I was done, when I was tired, when the kids had taken everything I had to give, when I was fearful, then I would say, we can't, we can't homestead. I can't handle another thing. But then in times when you know, I felt like myself, when we were just feeling a lot of love, when we were feeling passion, when we were feeling hope, those were the times when we said, hey, we can homestead. We could do this. And we've really, when we were paying attention to our desires, we really started to, know, to notice a pattern. And it became really clear really quickly that in those times of consolation, we wanted to homestead. Yeah, we read uh, Psalm 37 at our marriage, trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's been one of the big scriptures of our life together. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different paths to take in life and so many different things to choose from. And really one of the biggest ways that we've found to be led is what do we really want in our heart? Yeah. What is our desire? Because that's one of the ways that God leads people the most and he's really led us. And so when we have a desire for more land and to see our kids run on that land and to have endless opportunities to grow stuff and have animals, those are all good desires. And we found the Lord leading us into that. Yeah. And like I said earlier, this all happened really fast and it was kind of scary because we were stepping out into the unknown. And even after we put an offer on a house, there were nights when I was like, what are we doing? What are we thinking? What if this is a disaster? And I would say to Pete, what if this is a big mistake? What if we regret this? And Pete, you were just so awesome because you just said, then we'll move back. But I'd rather live a life where we take risks and make mistakes than if we never try and always wonder. And it's exhilarating to be in that place again where we have kids and we've been married for a long time but we're not beyond the point where life can't have a big shift and we can't just say, you know what, let's try something different and just see how it goes. Yeah, and if it fails, it fails, but at least we'll know and we won't be wondering. And I will say this, I think you know, God knows the final outcome and he knew that we would become so alive out here. Our hearts have just been so filled with joy and our kids are doing wonderful. If we had known how great this would be, there would have been no question. There would have been no fear. But since it was kind of stepping out to the unknown, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. But the Lord knew. He knew that this was going to really be so fulfilling for us. This was going to be the life that we were made for. 
Absolutely. Yeah, so I would say to anyone out there that is kind of fearful but also kind of desiring a change to just spend time in prayer, spend time discerning it and listen to the desires of your heart. One of the other big things that we were finding as we were getting into this life of having more kids and we had two and then three and then number four is on the way and you just find that we, we used to be way more mobile and so we could go and do lots of different events and try lots of different things and now we were becoming way more settled. You can't just throw four kids into a car and, and run out. It takes so much effort to accomplish that and so we find ourselves being like, we're spending a lot more time at home. That's where our time is. That's where we're spending our time. What can we do at home that would just be life-giving? How can we... In, it's so easy in this culture to get into this bustle of just constantly going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah. I want to be at home where we can be peaceful and we can have relationship together and we can have conversation and spend time together. And so every time we thought about something that involved homesteading, it fit perfectly into that. Yeah. Here's another activity that we can do together, another activity that's life-giving, another activity that's just, that's just fun, and it was fitting perfectly into this concept of what we wanted our family to look like. Right, right. And I would say, too, for whatever reason, I think the culture around us puts a lot of fear into change. The way that I feel is the culture wants to say, like, just stay in, in the life that you have. Don't push it too hard. Don't, don't change. Because um, we heard a lot of discouraging things like, oh, you'll never be able to take a vacation or that's a lot of work. And I would just say you have to really keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and, and his plan for your life because he knows what's going to make you come alive. Oh, that's, that, is, that was the comment I got every time we were, we were starting to try something new is, you know, that's a lot of work, you know. <laughs> yeah, it can be really discouraging and it can instill fear because right. you're like, what? Work? Is that bad? <laughs> I mean, work is not bad, but when you hear it said like that, you start to really question. Yeah, and very little of this has ever felt like work. Mm -hmm. This is just something that I want to do. And yeah. so it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I think I can speak for our whole family, for our boys, that we're all having a blast out here. And it is much more fun than it is work. <laughs> totally. Well, I think that's it for today. And we hope that you'll stick with us and hear all about our adventures in homesteading and family life. Have a great day, everybody.